0: Hey, welcome back. I wonder if you've ever given a thought to whatever happened to all the talk in church life about sin. Remember that? Remember when we used to talk about what's right and wrong and, and we need to do better? When I became a Christian in the 80s, uh, that was all, pretty much all we talked about. God's good, you're bad, try a lot harder. But historically, over the previous uh, decades and even centuries, we always had as Christians very clear ideas uh, and lines between those who were sinners and those who were regarded as saints. It was very easy to tell the difference. And throughout those years, the church's message was uh, very clear as well. Through the uh, turn of the century, from the 19th to the 20th, it was all about prohibition. Then it evolved into uh, holiness, separateness, be separate from the, uh, the world and so on. All were the ideas in their context. But we have now evolved that to being Uh, all who believe are saints who occasionally sin. The the language changed. We're, We're not identifying each other now as sinners. If we're a Christian, we're saying, well, you're not a sinner. You're essentially a saint who does sin occasionally. Again, theologically, pretty good. But you may have noticed that all the talk now is not about sin, but it's about inclusion and acceptance. Again, a worthy conversation. But consecutive generations have created for us a cultural disappearance of guilt. But I wonder, in your life, do you personally still grapple with something like conviction, with conscience and being seared by what you do or you don't do? Because in reality, the eternal consequence of our sin is gone in Jesus. But the temporal effects, the the effects for here and now, are very much alive. And if we read the New Testament... We can see it's chock full, overflowing with dealing with the whole concept of sin in the lives of those who are already forgiven by Jesus. Why? Because it destroys our life and the lives of those we impact. So let's recap very quickly before we dive into this, the whole arc of this series. We have been talking about entheos, the the God within that drives our life. And we talked about pathways and coming to defining moments in those pathways on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. And we've sort of anchored ourselves in Jeremiah 6.16 with real wisdom from the Old Testament where it says, this is what the Lord says, stand at those crossroads and look, ask for the ancient path, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. And so examples of those crossroad moments come every day in our life. It might be when we're under pressure and we find ourselves reacting. It might be when we're tired and we do something that in any other time we'd regret. It's our insecurities that pop up and we respond. It's when we're unsure of ourselves, it's jealousy, it's anger. It's all those moments where we choose right or wrong, well or badly. And at those pathways, at those crossroads, there's only two directions that we can take. And we've looked at a number of those um, typical crossroads. Uh, One is a crossroad essentially of faith, of reliance, and relationship in God. It's the crossroads of reject God or rely on God. We make the choice to go one way or the other. Another one was a crossroad of authority, where we talked about responding to God. We come to a crossroad and we say, am I going to follow him or not? I can respond or I can rebel. And another crossroad is one we're going to talk about today. It's a crossroad of conduct where we can choose a path of godly repentance. And we're going to do a deep dive into that. Or we may inverse that and go down a pathway of what I'm calling religion, which I realise has different connotations for different people. But I'm talking there about rules-based, performance-based mindset. We can go that way or we can go down the path of repentance. And so this series is an invitation to re-navigate that path in your life, to re-engage with God in a new way. And so today we come to this crossroad of conduct. And today's crossroad really represents another one of those this far and no farther type of moments. If we don't get this one right, we'll find our Christian life becomes stalled, becomes stuck. We become a victim of ourselves and our old nature rather than moving forward in freedom. So we need to come to a decision at these moments of those types of critical points I pointed out just now. And say, so how am I to think and behave? It's a crossroad of conduct. Is it to be prescribed by my religion, by the rules and the rights and what I might define as the minimal standards to be met? Or do I understand true repentance, an invitation to turn from death to life? That's what repentance really is. You see, a guiltless culture needs a really good reason to follow a moral code, and we are in that guiltless culture right now. You see, people, contrary to what good wisdom would say, won't obey simply because they're told what's right and wrong. Now they need a good reason for it as well. And strangely, this even happens after they progress through the crossroads we've talked about before that acknowledge Jesus as the authority in their life. They're wanting to follow God. But still, the big why question comes up because unchallenged habits and bias can be reinterpreted as being inevitable nature. Let me say that again. Unchallenged habits, if we stop talking this through, if we stop raising the value of true repentance and conscience and so It's interpreted that my old nature, my flesh, and what I respond to from those lusts is really inevitable. It's an inevitable part of my nature. And so we've seen so far in this series that our direction is determined by the real God within. Is it the God, the Lord of all creation, driving us and we're living from the Spirit, or is it just our flesh? Because you can't experience the fullness of God's kingdom if you're committed to the opposite of that kingdom. You can't travel in one direction if your, your efforts go in the exact opposite direction. You see, God doesn't overrule your decisions, but he empowers the right decisions. So is there a why behind holy living? If we pull away the do it because I said so paradigm, we can begin to see something else. We can see to these two contrasting pathways are really pathways of life and invitation to it or to death. One is empowered by the spirit, one's empowered by the flesh. And this pathway to life is a pathway into relationship with God, finding true freedom, not under bondage. It's finding purpose in God's kingdom. It's finding peace and joy, shalom, as the Hebrews would say. The other path, the path into death, is a path into isolation from God and people. It's a pathway into bondage, where you have uh, less and less awareness of your choice. It's a pathway into having no purpose. It's a pathway into the opposite of shalom, which is chaos and God created us for the reasons of life. He created us for purpose, not death. And so in the New Testament, Paul talks at length on this polarity in Romans chapter seven and chapter eight, just profound stuff there. In Romans eight, six, for example, he says that the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. He's saying very clearly there, if you're following the spirit, you're finding life through the spirit. He goes on, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So he's not talking about your eternity here. He's talking about your life on earth. He's talking to Christians. You can go down a path that kills you or you can go down a path that brings you to life. So this pathway of death, all the writers in the New Testament talk it through, but none so clearly, I think, as James in James chapter one. And we're going to pick it up in verse 13, the second half of that verse. He talks about this pathway of death and the progression down there. He says each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. See the progression there. It starts with being tempted. All of us are tempted. None of us can say we're not tempted. Everyone, Christian or not, holy or unholy, we're all tempted because the temptation doesn't come from us originally. It doesn't come from God, and James goes on to say that. It comes from the evil one. It's like a wind that is constantly blowing at us, just tempting us to hoist our literal sail and pick up that wind and go down the path to death. And so temptation feeds our existing desires, the desires that are there, the desires of our flesh, the New Testament calls it, that they, and they demand something. And so that temptation moves on desire, which is like a motive thought and so on, and it conceives an action. So the temptation builds a desire, the desire produces an action, ultimately giving birth to sin. And sin, it says, eventually gives birth to death. Quite a a weird saying there. It's saying that this sin gives life to something that's going to kill you. Things like isolation, bondage, having no purpose, chaos. So temptation makes death look like a preferable future to life. It's an amazing thing. We don't think that way at the time, but we say this temptation is creating a picture for me of something that I think is going to bring me life, even if it's only very temporary. That's the pathway into death. What about the alternative, the pathway of life? Now, this series has been all about finding new life, uh, rediscovering Jesus, relying on Jesus, responding to Jesus down this pathway of life. But Jesus articulated the pathway uh, that we're trying to describe here in one very easy to remember and repeatable sentence. Uh, He was a preacher. Uh, He would go around on an itinerant basis preaching and it says in Mark 1.15, his keynote uh, sermon, one line. And he would say this, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's it. The time has come. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the wording there, in being so brief, you can understand it's explosively loaded, a pathway to life and a reason for it. Let's break it down piece by piece. So he portrayed this as a crossroad moment. He said, the time has come. It's the same terminology we're using in this series. You're coming to the crossroads. The word he uses for time is not chronos. It's not the word that says, what time is it? It's the word kairos, which means it's an opportune moment. It's a window of opportunity. It's open now. It's going to close again. You've come to a crossroad. What are you going to do there? Because this window is going to close. So he says, you're at a defining and opportune time, a kairos moment or a crossroad moment. Then he says into this space, uh, a real reason rather than a rule. He he gives us the why, not uh, a directive. He says, the kingdom is available. The kingdom of God, something that to the listeners was everything. Are you talking about This kingdom, it's almost something they would whisper like the very name of God himself, Yahweh. This idea of kingdom, of paradise never found. The kingdom of God where he rules, where it's the king's domain. So that kingdom that you've been waiting all your life, even just to hear about, it's at hand. It's within reach. You can grasp it. It's in me, he was saying. Mind-blowing stuff. And he was just saying it, you know, off the cuff like this. Yeah, you know, you've been needing and waiting for this for such a long time, but here it is. Here I am, and the kingdom is near because I am near. But then Jesus gives the very simple pathway into the kingdom. He so says, "The time has come. The window's there. The kingdom is at hand. Reach out. How do we reach out? Repent and believe." So there's that word, repent. He wasn't afraid to use it. It means literally not to say sorry, not to feel bad, not to hang our head in shame when we've done something again, feel bad about it, get back on the road and do the same thing again and just hit the repeat button over and over all our life. Repentance does not look like that. It means to change the way we think and the way that we head, to change our direction and to go in a very different way. Different to what? Well, all to the people in that context, all they've experienced of sin, of religion, of bondage. He's saying change the way you think. There's a new path before you turn around and go this other way, turn away from death and into life. But Jesus here is speaking way broader than the idea of let's just stick to the rules, you know, repent and obey the law. They've been hearing that for centuries. He's inviting them to embrace this kingdom, this idea of living with God, for God, partnering with him. It's a whole new vision for life. This is the why. He's saying your whole way of looking at life can be completely different. It can be awesome, it can be the way it's supposed to be. It's an idea that their forefathers could only dream about, dwelling face to face with God, free from bondage, true peace and joy. And Jesus was saying, turn from death to life, repent. See, we tend to associate repent with judgment and shame. But Jesus says, "You know, whatever is of an inferior kingdom can now bow to the superior kingdom. Fear and shame and distress disease, bitterness, jealousy, you can make all of them bow. Jesus was saying, God is, a way, is way better than you could ever think. So change the way you think. He's able to do more than you can imagine. So dream bigger. So the next step after repentance on that path is to believe. So you can't just turn and decide to do something differently. You've probably been trying that all your life. Turning is one thing, taking the step is the hard part because you can't do it on your own. All the strength that you've tried to muster all your life, all your flesh can do, you've already seen the best of it. He's saying, no, don't rely on what you can do. Repent and believe. Rely. Have faith in God. You've got to depend now on Him. We make a turn to go a certain direction. We take a step as if we're going to make it. But when our foot comes down, it comes down on His strength. It was a strange and bewildering sort of statement to them. You know, what were they to believe? They didn't, they'd never heard this concept of belief, only rules before. Uh, it was just a different way of thinking for them. They had no grid uh, as we do for faith, only works. So he was telling them to have faith in what he could do, what he would do, who he was, not what they could do. And so when it comes to repenting, we can't do it alone. Our best isn't enough. We need to stop and not go down that path the way we always do. So this is a pathway of life. We recognise the crossroad, the Kairos moment. We recognise in that time where we most want to go the way we've always gone, that hang on, the time has come. And at that moment, we get a better vision for life. We get Jesus' vision. We say, hang on, stop now. Ask where the good way is. The kingdom is at hand right here. Instead of going down the path of the flesh, I can go down the path of the kingdom. We can change the way we think and take a step down a new path. We're relying on the spirit to give us the peace and the power and the purpose needed. This crossroad is often called in our lives, in different scenarios, the wall. This is the great wall that every Christian comes to. Everyone hits it and only faith can rise above it. They call it the wall because what happens is people place their faith in Christ and they start walking along and we all get inducted into this thing called churchianity. We do the very best we can, but we hit this wall one day where the best we can do doesn't seem to make a difference. It doesn't beat my addictions. It doesn't overcome my fears and all the different things where those crossroads come upon us. And we've got to break through that wall because we all get there, but only faith will get us above it. The the statistics say that in any given church somewhere, give or take 5%, 20% of our church is there right now, stuck, unable to get past their addictions and ways of coping. So I wonder what road do you keep travelling down? Are you concerned uh, for your future, for money, for friends and family? Are you just consumed, worrying about your kids, uh, driven by fear? Maybe you're afraid of what's happening in the world, jealous that some people seem to get it all and you get nothing. These are the crossroad moments. Maybe you're convinced that you're inadequate for the world and being left behind. Maybe you're worried that you're desperately lonely and unable to find peace in that place. Or perhaps you're you're angry at someone who's blocked your path or robbed you of something. They're the moments. Stand at those crossroads. Pause. Ask what the good way is. Get a better vision for life and walk in that pathway of the kingdom. I'm sure there's a lot going through your mind as we consider that sort of question. You'll know your Kairos moments. You'll know the things that trigger you day in, day out, as they always have done. I wonder if you're at the wall right now. Well, why don't we pause right now as you finish this up and just pray that God would give us a better vision for life and the faith to rely on Him. So Father, I pray for each one listening, I pray your blessing upon their life, you give them great wisdom to show them right now, what is, what is their Kairos moment? What's the thing that triggers them constantly? Lord, I pray that as they picture that, they would picture uh, a better way, that I would picture your kingdom. The time has come, the kingdom is at hand as they begin to turn to a better path. Give them all they need to walk that way. Give them all that you've promised to give, in Jesus' name, amen. Bless you now. See you next time.